All right, so this is episode eight of 60 Second Spark. I'm with James Billiard, no rank civilian. Yes. And today we are going to be talking about leadership. But through a good lens. So I have two relevant uh, topics that I want to talk to you about. But first, I kind of want to, you know, get to know you a little bit uh, for the audience that doesn't know you. James Billiard? Yeah. Okay. Uh, So I'm going to ask you some questions and we'll see how well you do with those. Some softball hitters. Yeah. Well, okay, so what are you doing? Because now it sounds far away on your microphone. I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking at a lower volume. Okay. I need to project better. Do you just use your chest, yeah. I think. Say it with my chest. Yes. There it is. Uh, okay. <laughs> How old are you, James? I am 30 years old. Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, to the old folks home. Uh, Okay, 30 years old. Where did you go to college? I went to college at the University of Memphis. Nice. How was that? Uh, It was an experience, to say the least. What is that? Okay, so what does that mean? I mean, it was a uh, culture shock, of course. I grew up in a smaller Midwestern town. Um, Where did you grow up? Grew up in Illinois, an hour south of Chicago small little town called Urban Hill. Never heard of it. <laughs> Speak up. It sounds like you're whispering. Uh, no, it was an experience because growing up in a relatively small town um, where a lot of people knew each other, um, I would say my town specifically predominantly white and going to University of Memphis, uh, predominantly black school. Um, it was culture shock, not in like a bad way, just different. It was college, ROTC, uh, completely different. Like it was in the Mid-South, is completely new to me. So going through that, it was like, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, Memphis, I don't have fond memories of Memphis. Why Memphis of, then? Why'd you go to Memphis? Uh, well, uh, the short answer is uh, they accepted my application. Nice. <laughs> Uh, the long answer is that I applied to two schools um, that I wanted to go to with the RTC scholarship. They both had room and board. I got rejected by both of them. And Memphis and University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, were the two schools still accepting RTC applications and uh, college applications. So I applied to both, got accepted to both. And in my head, like I've been through Memphis and I've been through Mississippi. And I was like, well, Memphis is a city, and Mississippi is not a city. <laughs> Backwaters, like, I was like, oh, no, I don't want to go there. Like, my very, like, young, naive mind. And then I accepted Memphis. And it was funny enough, that first semester, we went to Ole Miss for a Mem- uh, Memphis Ole Miss game. Yeah. Game. And I was like, oh, I screwed up. <laughs> you wanted to go to Ole Miss? Well, at the time, like, yeah, because it was like, a, to me, it was like a stereotypical college vibe like it was like it was like a smaller town oxford miss um, mississippi smaller town so it was like more of a college town so college vibe and it was a big old like football was huge in that school so like people were out there like 
Memphis didn't have that. It was like a commuter school, um, relatively small campus. Everyone I really met didn't um, either like lived out in town or like lived in the dorms, and there's really nothing to do except go out to restaurants and drink. And you know, poor college student that was didn't see that. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting. So something else that's interesting, I think of most. Let me think. Of most of the people that I've interviewed, I think only one other person has been a non-Naval Academy grad. So your perspective on actual college is invaluable to the <laughs> listeners of this podcast. Well, take take it with a grain of salt, because I don't think I had a very, me personally, I don't think I had a very typical college experience. However, I do see the merits in that, because you did not have a typical college experience. No, not at all. Not at all. Okay, so you went through, what, what year did you graduate from Memphis? 2012. 2012, okay. A good year, I hear. It was a good year. <laughs> uh, what did you major in? History. Oh. Oh, I knew that, I knew that though. <laughs> that, that's a very applicable uh, reaction. No, I love history, but, you know, at the time, I was a civil engineer major my first semester. Yeah. Um, because my dad was a mechanical engineer major, aeronautical engineer major, whatever. My whatever. brother was a mathematics engineer, like major. So I was like, oh yeah, I could totally do this. And I couldn't. And it was like, <laughs> I didn't want, well, I did want to do it. And I was struggling with math. I was like, this is dumb. And my yeah. Time was like, Who introduces letters into numbers? That's. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> my friend at the time was like, yeah, man, history is so easy. And I'm like, oh, I like history. Let's do it. And like just took on the course load and it's like I enjoy this and I'm gonna be an officer in the Marines anyway so what does it matter what my degree is um you know so like looking back I was like if I could do it over I would pick a more you know a better degree but at the time it was you know what I want I don't regret it do you think that history so you always knew that you were gonna do Marine Corps yeah, so that's the, I guess we'll, we'll slide that in there now. It's, that's your tie to leadership. You always knew that you were going to be um, a leader of Marines, if you will. Did you, when you were in college and kind of going through this ROTC experience, which obviously for me as well, I don't know anything about that or what the Quigley is or whatever, but when <laughs> you were going through this experience, did you... Were you thinking in a context of, in college, like, oh, I have to prepare myself to be a leader? Or were you just like, whoa, I'm in college, and Marine Corps is what I'm doing after? Um, well, it was both. I, I had more of a stakehold in, in, like, being in the military. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, relatively straight edge, and I, I made sure I was, like, doing things that wouldn't get me kicked out of the program. Yeah. Um. Uh, you know, I was very uh, aware of that. That like, I, there's people dropping like flies left and right for grades, for um, they just want to do it for partying and all that stuff. And I was like, that's you know, my end game is being in the in commission in the Like, college is you know second second fiddle. But at the same time, like you know, I was still trying to be a college student and like going to class and like having fun and joy and like trying to like you know in, enjoy it the best I can. As much as it can to someone who didn't go to real college. So, yes. <laughs> like, we, well, we had to wear uniforms uh, once a week. Um, 
and went during our lab. So like all day we had to wear our khaki uniforms and we're like just a big old target, so to speak. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and then on like Thursdays, like Tuesday, Thursdays was our lab. On Thursdays, we just had to wear like, uh, like for Marine options, we wore red polos and khakis with proper civilian attire. Mm-hmm. So it was at the forefront that like I'm in this program and like every morning, most mornings we had unit PT and like events and stuff like that. And the, uh, the unit, building was really kind of like the center area where like the midshipmen would go to like hang out between class or go to study and it was like kind of just a way to get away from everything that was in your dorm and it wasn't like the library so to speak. right okay so you do that you commission in 2012 did you do the six-week program of officer candidate school or the 10 weeks so you yeah, did two they, six weeks? They changed it to 10 week, I think, a couple of years after I got uh, commissioned. But I did the six-week Bulldog program the summer between June and senior year. Twice. So you do two sets of six. Yeah, one. one set, one six-week. Yeah. So you got the easy version. Yes. Okay. So you got rocked for six weeks at officer candidate school. Then then you're commissioned. You... Right. And, and, you know, not to make it sound tougher but to give more context uh the marine options leading up to ocs were more um like as you know freshman year wasn't that bad but like sophomore year and then like junior specifically especially the spring semester we did more ocs style pt um like the meseps would yell at us ocs style we'd run around for like hour two hours sometimes and um my junior year and my senior year um when i was prepping for OCS and then when I was after I graduated OCS, the MY at the time like mandated midshipmen that were preparing for OCS needed to have classes start at like nine or ten at the latest because OCS PT was gonna go from like five to seven. Mm. Yeah. So it was like it was definitely um, it was it wasn't just like, you know, I have my book bag on, I set it down, I get in a plane and I fly to OCS and I come back. It was it was a lot of more prep and kind of just getting into that mentality. So I think that definitely set me up more for success for OCS because at the time, at that point when I was there, I was already expecting a lot of things and I kind of just wasn't able to anticipate a lot better than people who had never experienced that. Well, because it's a mindset, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do not often think of what I would be like at officer candidate school, but I don't think I would have fared well. <clears throat> yeah, and that, that's kind of the thing to, you know, to kind of jump forward in time, but also like kind of related. Um, there was a, a corporal at a at comp squadron when we were there mm-hmm. together, and she was preparing for OCS, and she didn't like there was no meseps there, or um, there was no like bulldogs that went to OCS. There was no um, even like the officers were all naval academy that you know that she knew of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I found, I've kind of found that out and I went up to her and I was like, Hey, I hear you going to OCS and started talking to her and, um, shared a lot of my experience without like divulging too much of the OCS mythos because it is in, intended to kind of be chaotic. And so you don't want to like unveil so much that they just game the game. Right. Um, and then I like, you know, kind of like explain some stuff, how it works. And I even had my old candidate notebook and I went over some stuff that like, I know that like people who I don't say had it easier going through OCS would kind of gloss over, but I went over like more of the mental things that a lot of people 
don't realize. Right. Okay. So then from there, you do six months of TVS, uh, the basic school, excuse me, as you were. Saturday and Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you are selected to be a logistics officer, which is interesting. And somewhere along the way, Nijoni and Billie Jean collide. Oh, <laughs> so I know that you started by kind of saying you grew up in a predominantly white town. You go to Memphis, you have like a, I mean, to be honest, more black experience than I had uh, in college because I went to a PWI, predominantly white institution. Um, and then you go into the Marine Corps, which is full of diversity, just a melting pot of not only like leadership and diversity of thought, but of people as well. So probably leading the demographics that you were leading for the first time. Um, and, but I would say you were a little bit more prepared than some others that may have just gone from like a small town to a small college and then into the Marine Corps, which is like this huge pot. Right. right? Um, and I don't know how many, and, it, and I, I would say it's different when, and you can give your, your thoughts after I say this, cause you could disagree with me, uh, which is fine if you do. It's, it's different to be an officer, especially of Marines, and to lead a diverse group of people, and then to be an officer and work with a diverse group of people, like you are coworkers on your officer level. Um, and I'm not sure, now that I bring that up, I'm not sure if that's like easier or harder, but what are your thoughts on that kind of statement? Um, yeah, I agree. It's, I would say it's harder to lead or be in a peer group. Yes. Um, especially the Marine Corps, because we're just so ingrained that it's like, you know, everyone, like one person's in charge, so there's already a pecking order. And, and so having a diverse group of Marines, you already have that, that barrier, so to speak, of like you're an officer or you're outranked the person that you're in charge of, in one way or another, whether it's like another officer. Yeah. You know? So they already have that inherent obedience. Um, and then you have your peer group, which is like, you don't have that. Um, so it's harder to like, for like leadership wise to be in the peer group and it's easier to have the diverse like subordinates, but I think to like gain the trust of the subordinates is, is can be harder, especially if like, mm. you know, we've, we've all experienced that where you have, you know, your, your group of people that just like, you ask them to do something or you tell them to do something and they're going to do just that instead of a group that trusts you and trust them where you ask them to do something and they do that and then everything else that they need to do yeah yeah definitely and that's that's one of the things so because leadership is a relationship right yeah, and if you don't have that relationship it, which one of the five ways of building relationship is that trust factor if you don't have it then at the very best, you're going to get the bare minimum of what you asked for. Um, and knowing Marines, like, they will they will paint that line thin. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I ask that question to kind of go into our experiences working together. So this was in 2000... It's like 17. Was it? 2017. Came to the 
right? Yes. I, I, I got there 2016. Yes. I landed like a comet at the control group. Yes. Um, shook everything up. Um, <laughs> for the better. It was great. <laughs> it was great. And somehow I did something that I never do. And I made friends. Right. <laughs> yes. I agree. I agree. Well, literally, I mean, but literally though, so that I, I never really make friends with coworkers and I would say the coworkers that I do know in a more friendly fashion over the years, it's literally because my community is so small, like we deployed together, we were at our first unit together, we were at my second unit together, so we were, we've been around each other for a long time, so that's why those people are my friends, so I would say like you and like Sydney are anomalies because I don't like... I guess I just don't make the effort. I don't know. That's a whole nother podcast uh, topic. But part two. Yeah, that's that's a whole nother thing. But for us, I feel like people didn't really kind of understand our friendship because it was very like night and day. Uh, No pun intended for (laughs) anything. But I found us having a lot of conversations because I dealt with a lot of weird stuff i guess we'll just call it weird uh being a company commander at the control group headquarters um and kind of butting against like the man and like the regime that we were in um but i wonder i just wonder what like from your perspective of kind of me like barreling in on like a comet train and not knowing me from adam um and just kind of being this black girl it's like yeah i'm here let's do stuff uh, and kicking down doors. So now I, when I look back at it, I was very much of just like, yeah, like make a lot of noise and we're going to do stuff and PT in the morning. Like what was your, and and we didn't, I don't think we, I don't remember the the spark that was like, okay, we're going to be friends now, but like, what were your initial reactions? Cause I feel like a lot of people kind of go through different things. Um, And this kind of goes into like the unbiased, unconscious bias conversation of when you first receive people and it, and it could have nothing to do with me being black, right? It could be a female. It could be, she wears glasses. It could be, you know, all these different, like her bun is weird. Like anything that kind of goes into that. So I don't know if you can remember that far back though. Cause you're old. Yeah. I barely remember what I had for breakfast. Um, no, but no, I've actually thought about it a few times because you're right. Like it is kind of an anomaly, like being friends with you and it's like still, you know, to this day, because you know, when, when two people like come together and they're like have this shared experience and they're in the same kind of like area and then they split up, you know, PCS, right? It just becomes like, well, like, yeah, you talk here and there, but then it kind of like fizzles out. Whereas you and I kind of have maintained that friendship for whatever reason. Um, but no, going back, like, I remember <clears throat> um, hearing about like you come into the unit and I remember the Marines were like all huddled around this computer and they saw like your picture of like recruiting thing. What? Like, oh, for my commercial? What's that? For my recruiting commercial? Um, yeah, it was, it was, I don't know, you're in like blues or whatever. It was like, it wasn't a commercial, it was a, a photo. And they're like, oh, this is the, this is the new uh, captain's coming down. I'm like, knock it off, guys. Quit, quit being weird. Um, and then you came to the unit and we had that like hail and farewell. Um, and, uh, the CEO at the time was very like adamant about that stuff. So he's like, you know, I remember he'd always ask you like, name, name, say something about you that no one else knows. And I'm like, well, I don't know. 
<laughs> right. But uh, I was just like, I was like, okay, cool. You know, like I was actually, I was thinking, I was like, awesome. Another captain. Cause I like had just promoted to captain. Um, Frank had just recently got to the unit um, or shortly thereafter. Um, but yeah, it was just like, you're just me and like a couple lieutenants. And so I didn't have that peer group. And then you came and it was like, okay, cool, captain. And then we kind of like interacted. And I think it was just like, you have this like weird, not weird, but like this um, personality where you're very out there, but at the same time, you're very reserved. And so like, when you're just kind of out there and like, I'm a similar way where I'm kind of like, you know, it's kind of standoffish, but I don't know. I think that's kind of like the night day where we just kind of connected on that, where we kind of just like, we're out there, then we, we retract, and like maybe it was just, I don't know, just kind of vibed into a friendship and um, hanging out outside of work helped too. And just like, you know, like we're both unmarried, you know, kids. So it's just like, what's there to do in San Diego? Hey, let's go do this thing and go hang out. And we're like, okay, this person's actually pretty cool outside of the uniform. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that is an interesting take. I don't know if you ever told me about that, about the Marines being weird, but Marines do that everywhere. I mean, like, like honestly, like, I I didn't want to bring it up, right? Because it's like, you know, it shouldn't be a thing, but it was. And it was just like the fact that, like, I had to, like, you know, it was kind of a teaching moment for them, for me to be like, stop being weird. Like, it's just another, you know, like, you're not going to look up every person. They actually did look up every person because they're bored. But still, it's just kind of like, <laughs> Off. Yeah, that's a good point. And I wonder how many people would actually step up and say something, right? I feel like the leadership styles that we see, yeah, they vary tremendously inside of the Marine Corps. All right, so I'm going to bring this story up because you reminded me of it the other day. So we had a unique, you, well, I would say we, you, or yeah, we, yeah, I guess, I guess we. Okay had a unique uh, opportunity in our friendship and I think we still do to have a lot of these like race relation conversations and sometimes inadvertently um and so okay we're gonna go back to the to the describing women's hair as nappy okay do you, you remember this story better than I do Get it to walk me through it as if I wasn't uh. there um, yeah, so it was like in my lexicon, it was just another word, right? Mm -hmm. It meant nothing outside of just being like frumpy hair. Descri right? Like a word descriptor. Right. It, like it didn't invoke any emotion mm -hmm. in, in me, right? It was just kind of like, it was just a word. And, you know, just kind of use it, you know, I like to use different words to describe things to like, you know, to kind of like switch things up. And I remember I said it and you're like... Uh, hold up, you know what that means? And I'm like, it just means like messy hair. And you're like, no. And I was like, oh. And then you explained to me what it actually meant, you know, being like, you know, won't, I won't describe it, not to get the word power, I guess. But, um, you know, you told me, and I was just like, oh, wow. And then I just, you know, I, was like, I didn't know that. So thank you for sharing. And then I no longer used nappy as a descriptor for any anything because, because of what it means. Because you were educated. Because I was educated. Because we were able to have a conversation about it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you and think that... Oh, go ahead. Okay. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, do you think that if 
we would have had that interaction because we were in the Denny's, the infamous Denny's. If we were to have that interaction and I would have just like exploded on you and flamed on you, which I have done before. Several times. Cue sand in your face at the volleyball court. <laughs> Uh, would you have been as receptive to why I was maybe negatively impacted by you misusing a word that you d- didn't know the meaning of, really? Um, I think the the impact would be different, um, but I would still have, for me personally, I would have heard what you said and, and how like upset it hypothetically made you, and would you know still not use it because. You know, it's not something I want to go around offending people or saying words that I shouldn't be saying or invoke hatred in people or, you know, kind of prejudice and racism. Um, and if I think if you would approach that, it would have drastically changed our friendship to the point because of, like, I don't want to be seen as that person into you. And if you had continued to be my friend, it would, it would have just changed it. I think just it would have been different, right? I would feel like I'm like, you know, be more aware of what I'm saying um, to the point of like almost too much. Whereas we're able to have that conversation and I was like, okay. And now like I felt I could confide in you about like, hey, is like, like, is this thing that I'm saying or doing or thinking or feeling like, is that a, a bad thing? You're able to give me kind of that perspective. Yeah. And that's, that's really the point I'm trying to pull out of the ability to kind of have these conversations, especially in the climate that we're in, right? There are a lot of people that I, from my interpretation and my view, that are saying, you know, hey, I want to be this ally because ally is the the new trendy word. I want to be an ally to anti-racism, another trendy phrase, but they don't really know how. And then I also feel like when they kind of go on the social media machine and they're like, hey, I don't know what to do. Like they're getting yelled at and they're getting like, educate yourself and be smarter or like do better, read a book. And I, I can see where people are coming from because, you know, I've been a black girl all my life. And so all of these black people have been black all their lives and they've been dealing with these experiences and educating themselves to be smarter and to be um, able to speak on things like this. And so to have somebody to kind of be like, Hey, I've never t- taken the time to realize this before in my life. Can you educate me? I can see where that reaction would come from, um, of not wanting to right? and not saying that you have to, everybody has to have this mindset, but I do think it's important to realize the power that we have as individuals to impact people based on the way that we are able to handle situations. And I do think that's a very big like leadership point in terms of emotional intelligence. And can you assess like, hey, this is what this person is kind of giving off. Are you able to assess quickly how you are feeling? And are you in a place to even respond? Because um, a lot of and then that's like the active listening and communication piece as well. Are you receiving to respond? Or are you receiving to um, just react? Um, so those points are good and that's interesting. That would be interesting in how that changes dynamics of relationships. Um, because like you said, that could cut off potential further learning of, Hey, can you help me with this other thing? Uh, because we establish trust because leadership is a relationship. Have being able to have conversations with people and I've seen it 
mostly on the social media machine, but people who are not able to do that and they'll just kind of get in arguments with people online, which I'll never understand online arguing. Not ever in my life will I understand that. But I see a lot of people getting into it in comments. And sometimes I'll go to posts just to read the comments because I know they're going to be Well, that's something to consider, too, that not a lot of people realize um, exactly what you just said. Sometimes an argument with someone online is not trying to convince that person, but to convince the people reading it. Hmm. How How often do we read comment threads and we're just like, yeah, or like, no, or like, I should look that up or, you know what I mean? I would agree. I think I used to do that even when when I was like bored um, somewhere, somewhere at work. I used to read articles like Yahoo articles a lot and Yahoo commenters, man. That was like before the wave of Instagram commenting. Um, But there's some interesting viewpoints out there. But no, I agree. That's a good point. But I still will not engage with arguing people. (laughs) It's not worth it. But it kind of like comes down to like what we're talking about uh, just now is you know, you don't want to engage because, like, are you really going to convince that person or is that, or is that person going to be convinced? And then it's just going to become, like, a flame war. And then, like, you have those real-life discussions of, like, you have one side that's just ignorant or naive and then another side that just blows up and cuts off that, like, information. Like, you know, if someone appro- comes up to you and says, like, I don't know this thing. And you say, like, go read a book or go look it up. Or you, like, mad at them for not knowing? Then you're immediately just cutting that, that source of information off. And, you know, as, as a leader, you're, it's, you cannot have that. And you have to have the people come to you constantly, mm-hmm. constantly. Like, um, at my current work, for instance, it's, you know, it's draining and stressful some days. Just the constant barrage of employees coming to me. But I, I take it as a sign of respect and trust because they're coming to me because they see me as a person that can hear them, listen to them and get stuff done. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's such an important tool. And it, looking at it through the theme of leadership, because not everybody in the world probably identifies themselves as leaders, right? Some people are like, Hey man, I'm here to do my specific job and go home. So that, and that's that. But in the profession of marine officership, especially, but even you know, at the Naval Academy with the with the midshipmen training, basically to become officers of uh, Marines and sailors and leaders in in the civilian world in the future, right? Because you know, look at you. I don't know if your job is highly powered, but or how civilian jobs work at all. But you are still in charge of people. <laughs> but you're still in charge of people, right? You're not starting out at some bottom level echelon um, of where you're going to work your way up. You start out at a leadership position. So the fact um, of the matter is really that we should be to in order to be better leaders in our communities, at our workplaces, to our friends, to our peer group or our coworkers, we should be thinking in the way that you just described. So good on you, James. Thank you. I appreciate it. I won't linger there. That I mean, that's good. I, I like to think, um, I would like to think that because I was always so open about my perceptions and like experiences at, at school, at uh, work, um, that I have prepared each and every one of you for this specific climate because I was not afraid. Everybody gets like, oh, we need to have these uncomfortable conversations. Like, I 
been having these conversations with my coworkers. <laughs> They've been uncomfortable. So um, I like to think I planted seeds. Uh, I planted seeds for trees that will have shade that I will never see. There you go. I don't I like think I said it. that right. But I heard that. I, I, I get the point. Though. I <laughs> Somewhere in that analogy. Yeah. So I would like to talk about another role that you had inside of the Marine Corps that I think is uh, under underrepresented in terms of the way that we speak about it, um, which was your sapper responsibility. So sapper in the Marine Corps is sexual assault prevention response and response. And every military armed force community has a form of sexual assault response. Um, and it, it varies at different levels and how their reporting system works and things like that. So I, I, in, in the wake of the Vanessa Guillen army murder and in follow on investigation and really just all of that coming out that it was related to sexual assault and harassment um, things that were going on and people really calling for investigations and what was going on in the army. I did want to talk to you about your experiences as a sapper. I think, I think we representative sapper. As, as a sapper, <laughs> as a sapper guy. Um, but I, I will call it like a VA, like a victim advocate. Okay. So that's what, so that's what you did specifically was the yeah, like victim advocate. Okay, so, and just for context for people who are not in the military that might be listening today, so, uh, and I'll let James explain it more in depth because we get training on it, but I think it's interesting that the sapper individuals or that are involved directly with the program get such an in-depth training that, I mean, it really makes you experts on it, but there, there are systems in place if I were to be harassed or assaulted that I would go and talk to a specific person who is trained to handle my case, uh, whatever that would be, and then it would follow a specific chain to be dealt with accordingly, uh, based on what it is. And it would usually follow an investigation. Um, but I did want to talk to you about kind of, I would say your thoughts on the the perceived handling, I guess, of the Vanessa Keenan case. I don't know if you've done any like deep reading on it, if that's something that you like to indulge. Um, in investigating in your own 60 minutes with Kat on the weekends, but, um, or, or just kind of like this really renewed outrage of what is the military doing in terms of sexual assault prevention and harassment? Right. Um, well, up front, I'm not, I, I wasn't following it um, nearly as close. I don't, I don't really watch the news, so everything I was getting was from the internet or from, Social media. Like right. I was even on social media for a while, um, and I only recently got back onto it. So when I did hear about it, I kind of looked into it, and it's just it's you know, for lack of a better phrase, it's completely fucked up what happened. And having been, um, you know, a victim advocate, um, which gives me no um, what's the word I'm for like not credit, but like. Uh, like authority, I guess, to, to speak on the matter. Um, if anything, it just gave me more of an insight into like how screwed up um, people can be. Yeah. And you know, like having having grown up, like I always I've always been kind of been an empathetic person. Um, and then the reason I got into Sapper was because um, there was two spots opened up 
and every unit in the Marine Corps needs at least uh, two. And a spot was freed up, and the person in charge of appointing people at the time um, was like, hey, James, I want you to either be a victim advocate or be the frog, which is the family readiness officer in the Marine Corps. And to give context to that, the family readiness officer is like, sets up all like the family stuff, like family days and, you know, redeployment, like you know, all those organizations and like little trips and things for families. And me being a single, uh, no kid guy in San Diego, I was thinking how miserable that sounded. And so I was like, you know what, I'll volunteer to be the advocate because to be quite honest with you, it sounds like it'd be a lot more you know, education, like educate myself. And so um, I was actually one of like I was like the only volunteer in my class at the time. It was I think it was like I forget like fifteen twenty of us. That's a good point. That was what I was going to ask you. How many people do you think are voluntold to do things like that, or do they are they actually interested? I would say ninety nine percent of them are voluntold, which is an unfortunate thing. But absolutely, um, the training though it definitely has a very serious tone to it, and the instructors almost have to manufacture humor into it because of how heavy it is and at one point you listen to an audio recording and it just gives you the sense of just like like this this is what you'll be doing um and it gave me a context of things as well like resources available um like how to help people how to talk to people i still use it to this day of like when someone's talking to you and then they're speaking very emotionally about something um your facial expressions can give anything away and, you know, like a little smirk or a little like uh, twitch of the eye or something like so minuscule or something so huge can completely alter the person's perception of how you're handling what they're saying. Um, and so stuff like that. And then, you know, when I uh, was done with the training, I was just like, I was like, I think every, every Marine should go through this level of training just because of just how like important it is because, you know, then I start reading about um, on forums and, you know, like those anonymous blogs, or just hearing people say it, just like, just how we're doing, like, oh yeah, this PowerPoint's like, yep, that just solved all rapes. Like, there's no more, like, don't, there's no more rapes in the Marine Corps. Good job. You saw, you did it. Why am I doing the same old training, right? So it's like, like, why do I need to do this? I know not to touch people. And it's like, you know, and so like, even, even like before um, I went through the VA training, it was like, I had kind of like a mentality of like, everything we're learning is so reactionary based. It's all just like, what do you do when you are assaulted? What do you do when you know someone is or this and that? And there's no like, the, what's the P and SAP or there's no preventative. Um, so like when I took over the courses, I tried to make it more of like, you know, education, educating the leaders because at the control group we had the, you know, never have fo- so few been led by so many is what I always said at the control group because it's <laughs> so many senior ranking people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, try to have those conversations and dialogues of like how to prevent it, like how to like look out and how to care for it. And a lot of it just became just like being an empathetic leader, like know your people, know that like if they can trust you and then here's the resources available for it. And, um, with, with the case, you know, the current case that's going on now, um, having known very little about it and just reading about it, it's just a complete failure of the leadership of, in, in the trust in the individual mm-hmm. and I, 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 like I said, I can't put blame on anyone besides the person who killed her. 
but like yeah, I can't blame the leaders for failing because I don't know, right? Right. And I think ultimately it came down to her lack of trust in her leadership, and which isn't any her fault at all. At all. Like she felt like she couldn't trust her leadership to help her, and that was always in the back of my mind, um, both as a leader and both as a victim advocate, uh, of being the person that they, they can come to because you might be the only person that they'll come to. Um, so yeah, just is reading about it is completely just fucked up, and I think everyone should read about it and realize that like, you know, it's like yeah, that happened to you know, a girl on a military base and that they can happen anywhere, anywhere, at any time. And just being that, that, that visual person of like, hey, like I'm I'm a resource for you to come to if you need it. And even if the person says like I, I don't feel like anyone's gonna help me and be like, no, that's bullshit, I'm gonna help you. Yeah. It so those are good points. Um and I wonder, I do wonder often, because I have heard anybody who has, I've heard three parts of this, right? So the first part, a lot of people get told like, hey, you're going to go be the EO, the equal opportunity guy. You're going to go be the sexual assault prevention and response guy because we need a guy or we need a girl to do this or we need, you know, whatever demographic to go do this job. And so they'll kind of like put you in these collateral billets based on that, even if you're not really that interested. Um, and then I hear the second part was that's, Hey, this training, the training that I went to for it was really good. And I have never, ever heard like the third part, I've never heard of somebody come back from that training and not say that it was beneficial, like for them to not say, to come back and be like, Oh, like that was a waste of my time. Like I did this two day in-depth training and it wasn't worth it. Uh, and so it, it does make me wonder if that training is so good and you get basically all of the people that you get that come back from these trainings saying this was a really beneficial training, why don't we give it to everybody in the Marine Corps? You know, like I have never been through, I've never been an EO, a sapper, um, or any of those like a in more, any of those heavy hitting collaterals that require you to go to extra training. Um, I think the only one that I ever had to go to was a domestic violence training for commanders. Um, and that was the only in-depth one. And that one was very in-depth and they do a really good job with it. Um, and it's over two days, but similar things, right? Like, so why are only certain people, uh, getting to go to this training if it's so good and like changing people's minds? And I don't, right. I mean, obviously James it, Billiard yes. is not so changing I, that. So go ahead. Oh, <laughs> obviously sure. James Billiard's not changing that policy, but I do think that often. Yeah, no, I, I, I think about it too. And I thought about it you know, you, you wrestle with it and just come to realize that, like, it, I guess it would kind of take away the impact because now you have everyone's taking the same training and then, you know, cost of they have to pay those civilians to, to train. And then, then it comes like, well, I mean, it's like, look at the Marine Corps and the Army. Why are we so different? Well, we're so different because we're a smaller group of people. Mm-hmm. And so we, we just have that bond. And then, like, you know, you kind of realize that, like, well, I guess the, the more f- fewer people who or do it, you're going to get more of a collection of people who are like, you know, who are kind of like, okay, yeah, it's like, oh, I got phone told, but there's you know, there's a screener, right? Like, you have to interview with, um, I forget the name, and I was actually served with a SARC, um, Sexual Assault Response Coordinator, mm-hmm. who's in charge of all the victim advocates, uniform victim advocates. And so Jimmy? you have to interview. Say again? Jimmy? Yeah, Jimmy was it, then I, then I was it. Okay. 
And um, so you have to interview the potential candidates. And so, like, you can get yeah, throw a dart on a map and pick someone. But if they don't screw the screen past the SARC, then they're not going to either go to the training or, uh, like, get certified. Yeah, so it's not everybody. Not every Joe Schmuckatelli gets to go. I would, I would say uh, yes and no because, like, you know, commands are just going to throw people at it. Right. Like, without thinking about it. But the intent behind it is that it is someone that's, like, responsible, mature, who can handle that. And if someone, yeah, you're right, you hit it right. Like, a guy and a girl, officer, NCO, you know, because, you know, you know, if you have two dudes in the unit and it's, and it's a guy that doesn't want to talk to a guy about his assault and he wants to talk to a girl or vice versa, um, so you have to have those options. Yeah. And so from the, from what you experienced while you were in, did you, as a victim advocate, you were in a different position by somebody like the SARC, the response coordinator, who was really dealing with a lot of the investigations and things have kind of been brought to a different level at the SARC's point of view, right? So as a... Kind of. I mean, we didn't. We don't do investigations. Right. Like, right. So what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you were more of if I just wanted to talk to you about something, like you, I could go to you and not necessarily want, like, have started a process to investigate anything. I was still. I still had all the credentials of a victim advocate, and I'm still a uh, a resource. Right. I'm right. still a victim advocate. Right. You come to me like what you say is confidential. I still have to file a report if you do report, um, whether it's, you know, restricted or unrestricted. Right. right. I still have to do something. The SARC is more like an administrator. Yes. I did all, yeah, I did all like the online stuff, the database entry. I went to the, um, the monthly or weekly meetings. I forget. I think they're weekly. Um, the meetings that is held by the base commander have to sit through yeah. all the, even the presentations. So I wonder of how many of the people that spoke to you about things that they had going on, right? How many people would you say like did not want to say anything? Or, but then did they kind of express to you like why they wouldn't want to? I mean, it, it comes down to like, you know, you have to be careful because, you know, you say why. You know, saying "fuck off" is the right. I don't want to. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. So it's it kind of like saying why. I was like, well, or like really, the questions you ask is like, well, are you safe? And do you feel safe, or you know, do you, do you have somewhere safe you can be? And then if they don't want to report because they feel unsafe, it's like, well, I don't trust my command, or it's it's my boss, or something like that. Um, then you have that conversation and be that resource and yeah. kind of give them options and and go through everything um yeah does that make sense yes yeah and i and i ask you that just from somebody who is sort of like receiving things um because and i mean because I mean, i've told you my whole story of why i went to the control group um so the whole i mean i guess the whole podcast world doesn't know so i in my career the our control group is like a higher echelon to our squadron and i was in california i was supposed to be there for three years i went to my sister unit um i was there for i want to say close to a year i don't know if it was a full year i took out a detachment to wti i was at the weapons and tactics instructor course which is like this higher echelon of education 
um, the best of the best go to this place, right, to train um, and become masters of our field. And I go to this job and I'm out there and my CO comes out there and he's kind of a new guy. I don't really know him. Um, but something that I didn't do because I've had, and this is like, of the stories that I have in the Marine Corps, this is probably like the mildest one. And yet the one that affected me the most. But uh, my, because of experiences I've had in the past, like I went to this two month course and I didn't drink at all, right? And that was a purely, and there are so many socials at Weapons and Tactics Instructor Course. Um, you go and, cause they're trying to like get you to make friendships and networking relationships. So you like go and have to sit in the, in the O club and drink beer, but I would like drink water and people were like, Oh, you're not drinking. I was like, no, I'm fine. Um, so people just thought I was, I don't know. I think they just thought I didn't drink, but I was like, I'm not drinking here uh, for a very specific reason. And lo and behold, here I still get caught up in like this weird situation with my CO who comes and visits and, um, you know, he gets drunk one night where a group of like my staff goes to dinner. He gets drunk. Um, I'm sitting next to him at a table of like six and he like keeps trying to touch me, like my hair and like my face. And I'm like, sir, you know, I'm, like, don't touch me. Like I'm not, I don't like that. And he's like touching, like tries to touch my face. And I remember one of my majors like was laughing when he was doing that. And I don't, I think my CEO like went to the bathroom or something. And I was my boss, my major, who was my boss at the time, my opso um, was laughing at me. And I was like, sir, you're a child. And he was just kind of like, what, what do you mean? I was like, I, like I'm obviously uncomfortable. Um, and so nobody really said anything to CEO that night. So we leave, I told my master guns, I put my master guns aside. Um, and I was like, yo, like that was not, appropriate um what he was doing so master guns i think relayed that to the ceo and the next day the ceo we we're at another social gathering the ceo pulls me aside and you know he's talking to me and he's like hey you know um i just want to say i'm sorry for if i made you uncomfortable etc cetera, etc cetera, right and i'm like in my book i was like all right we're good right like no need to be awkward about this i'm like sir you know, I just wanted you to know, like, that's not appropriate and it's not okay. Because uh, I, I do this thing a lot where if somebody apologizes to me, I'll be like, oh, it's okay. It's like a weird, you know, response to like, I can't, I don't know how to handle compliments or like, how do you deal with like, yeah, you should be held accountable for this thing that you did. And it's not okay. And so that's probably one of the first times I was like, yeah, it was weird. Like, don't do that to people. And um, he was very much of like, oh, yeah, you know, females have said that said stuff to me like that in the past and I just ignore them like whatever and I'm like okay I want to go somewhere else so I like I just leave the situation right and so he proceeds to get drunk that night again um and had like made like motions towards me like and I remember telling him like oh um you know I'm gonna punch you in the face because people I don't know what it is with these glasses but people like to make fun of me for them a lot so he's like oh I'm gonna punch you in the face and break your glasses and I'm like all right we're marines like I'm gonna punch you back like don't like what are you doing so he's just being really weird and my I remember my opso was had to like pull him back at one point because he was just being really like just a just weird um and so I remember like backing out of feeling like I was in a kill zone right because I'm like sitting in a chair him, the opso, and like one of our other dudes is standing around, like they're standing. 
my master, one of my masters had gone to the bar because he he's like, hey, do you want something to drink? I'm like, oh, I'll take a water. He leaves. So it's like just me sitting in this kill zone, right? And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like danger, danger close. So I'm like, roll away in my chair because they have wheels in the bottom in Yuma. Like roll away in my chair. I go to my instructor, uh, my IP, my instructor guy. And I'm like, hey, man, I had to pretend to be in a conversation with you because my CO is being weird. And he's like, what do you mean your CO is being weird? He's like looking at me like, what do you mean? And as I say that, my CO comes behind me and like drags his whole hand at my face. Like it's just cringy, right? Like my glasses are dirty. And I just remember like, I no warning, right? Didn't even, I didn't hear the guy and whatever. So I like freak out. I like come out of this chair really fast and I just like left the O club and my O, my opso like followed me out and he's like, oh, like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, like, I'm not okay. My boss, I have to leave this networking event for professionals. I'm in my uniform. I have not been drinking and I have to leave because my boss cannot handle his alcohol and keep his hands to himself. And he was just like, oh, well, you know, we don't, I'm sorry, like this and that, right? So that was that and like, I leave. Um, and I didn't deal with it for like the rest of the course. We were still, we still had like a solid month left and coming back, um, my squadron was very nervous about what I was going to do. Cause I hadn't said anything to anyone And it. I remember thinking about it and I was just going to go back to my squadron and not say anything. I was just going to deal with it because it's a very specific pipeline that we're in. Um, and, and I think about this when I see people that are like, oh, I didn't report this or that. And people are like, why not? Out them. You should put their names out there. You should, you should say something. You should do something. But then I think about my experience and I'm like, look, at my squadron, I was in line for company command for air support company. And then in, in going there, it's like, it's based on seniority. So it's not based on your competence. It's not based on your ability to lead people. It's not based on how good you you are at the job uh, because arguably, and I will say, and I've said this to my coworkers, like I was the best captain there and everybody who was above me had already had company command, but I was told you have to wait in line. So I'm like, all right, here I am waiting in line, doing all of these extra things to be prepared to take command. So in my mind, it, I knew that if I said something, I was losing, I was giving away company command of air support company, which was one of my goals, like from the beginning, right, of my MOS. And so I was just like, you know what, I'm just gonna eat it. I'm gonna, it'll be fine, whatever. When I go back, I wasn't gonna directly be doing that yet. I would have a buffer through my opso. It was gonna be good. Through some weird de facto things, like so I told one guy who told another guy who ended up telling like the CEO of Mott's who came down and like uninvited CEO from our graduation did this whole stuff, right? So I got a phone call um, from Colonel Joseph, o Joseph Orski, who former Navy football player, because everybody's trashing on Navy football right now, but um, one of the greatest leaders I have ever served under um and he just called me and he's like hey uh you work for us now <laughs> you're coming to the control group like show up for work tomorrow at zero eight and i'm like all right um and i left and that was that and i remember the only reason i said something to that one person was because i was gonna have to go back and they needed a company commander i was probably gonna go into headquarters and i wasn't gonna get that buffer time because i knew if i went back and i had said something either I would lose air support company command or it was going to be this thing of, well, 
is CO being nice to her or ranking her higher or being favorable because she has this holding over his head? Because that's something that doesn't, there's no expiration time on that, right? If I were to say I felt um, for, for whatever reason. So I knew that it was going to be weird going back. So I'm like, I don't want to go back to that and like say something and then be given either I'm going to get preferential treatment because they're scared that I'll say something or I'm going to get treated really shitty because they're scared I'm going to say something. And that was what I didn't want to deal with. So I went back and the only reason I said something was because I was going to have to work with him directly faster than I was ready for. So I wouldn't get a buffer period to kind of distance myself from what had happened at school to being his company commander and working directly for him. Um, and in the end, it was awful. Uh, I remember telling XO Major Hager that, and I was ostracized for a little bit in my community um, because nobody knew what happened. And I just left and people didn't know. Um, and they, there were all kinds of rumors and they're not talking to me about it. Like these are, you know, friends, um, people that I've known for a long time, more correctly, but it, it was not a good experience. And I, I think I remember talking to you about it then and just being like, this is really, really shitty. And not wanting to have dealt with it and being, it took me a long time to get over the fact that I didn't get that shot. I lost air support company. And I'm still, there's still a part of me that's like upset about that because that was like my thing. Like I wanted to be good at my job. I wanted to earn this spot. I wanted to lead those Marines and I'll never ever get that opportunity because of what that guy did. And that's the part that's crazy. And I think that people, while yes, it's for the people that stand up and say, you know, this is wrong and report those sorts of things and go through the very difficult process that the investigation process is, it is also very, very scary for the person that's in it because of the, the variables that could just happen, right? And I don't know all of the super details of the Vanessa Guillen case and, or who she talked to, right? Like where the breakdown was in the leadership or the chain of command of who she mentioned things to. But wanting to talk to you about this was me to highlight the importance of having people who give a shit about the programs that we have in the military set forth, right? Because they're there. But it's the people, it's the leadership that somewhere dropped the ball, somewhere in a chain, right? And in mine, it was at the top because it was my CO that's, that's doing all this crazy stuff, right? And in some places, it's the NCO that's not taking their SPC seriously. It's the staff NCO that's not, you know, knowing his people enough to know like, hey, what's going on that this is not right? Or it's, it's a coordinator or a response and prevention uh, victim advocate that's that's not making themselves available or answering the phone. Like there's so many different variables to it and why it could have gone wrong and it can go wrong in even the perfect situations. Even the best commands can fall into that, right? And I, I don't know if it's because we don't talk about it enough as people who have been through situations that have altered careers, like literally almost yeah. threw my career in the trash can because of what this one guy did because he can't handle his alcohol um, and, and, you know, gets awards for being a CEO and still gets to favorably leave the Marine Corps. But it's, it's insane to me. It is. And I know I went on a rant, but. No, it was, no, it was good. Um, you're right. It's, you know, it's, it's, 
the, those people like trivialize other people, um, you know, the, the person who went through something and, you know, like me being me, like, you know, you know, we start off this podcast, like, you know, I'm a white guy that grew up in the rural, like rural-ish Midwest. And now I'm like a, a white man in America. Like, you know, so like my experience is so greatly different than your experiences and everyone else's experiences. So like I try and put myself in so many shoes that like you see that like, you know, and, and as a leader and a victim advocate and a captain and an officer in the Marine Corps, I always try to like, like empower those people who feel like they don't have a voice. Like I wanted to give voice to those people um, because, you know, when people come up to you and say like, hey, this thing happened to me and like, oh, it's not a big deal. And like, it's kind of like, well, it, it sounds like a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of, that was part of the, the victim advocacy training was, you know, like, you're this, you are a confidential reporter. Like, I can't just go and talk about it, no matter what, to anyone. And, you know, they come talk to me, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa let's, hold up, let's talk about this. Um, and so I, I think a lot, of, a lot of people don't realize that, is that, you know, the, the person laughing and watching it happen is probably, honestly, probably just, like, shocked and, like, I don't know how to handle the situation. And... Everyone else is kind of just like they don't understand because like they haven't been through that, and you know it, even like just a little bit of empathy will, will kind of like let currents do like what you are like the person you're seeing it happen to or hearing about like go through. There was a little anecdote. I was had just moved here, and I was um, like it was off work and then still living in the hotel, and I was just went to a couple wild wings after work and just sitting at the bar by myself and just enjoying a beer and some wings. And it was around the case, I don't, I, I forgive myself for not knowing the details, but it was a baseball player, I think, was being accused, or a football player was being accused of, um, of rape by someone from like years ago. And it was all over the news. And the bartender, white guy, was just like, man, can you believe this? And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty fucked up, isn't it? He's like, yeah, I'm like, she waited that long to say something. And I was like, hold up. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, like it comes out now. Like, oh, he's going through this or that or something or other. I'm like, oh, yeah, like what's wrong with that? It's like, oh, it's just timing just seems, seems weird. Like, why don't you say something at the beginning? Why don't you say something immediately? Why not? And I was like, well, I mean, you got to understand what she's going through. Like, you got this guy who's worth millions, super famous. Like, she says something, who's going to believe her? Yeah. You know, now it's it's that's all about you know now was that that was when she said something that was her time to say it whether it's you know like the the, the Kavanaugh trial you know like yeah. I, was, I was on deployment during that people were saying like oh now this stuff is coming out I was like well yeah now it's the time to that come out he's going for public office or the person's now in the news for some reason now you come forward because it's like people are going to listen to me and hear me and hear my story instead of just saying like. Oh, there's no way that person would do that. I was like, oh, well, okay. You know, it's, so it's just trying to like get people to understand that. And like that, when I told that to the, uh, the bartender, he's like, oh, I never really thought about it like that. I was like, yeah, I hope you never, I hope you never forget. Right. Right. It's, and it's, it's difficult to explain, I think, um, because, you know, even, even my experience with the investigators, right, when I was going through all that stuff, the way, like, I almost went off on an 06 colonel because, 
he was like the investigator because you know it has to be one up from the rank whatever um he's asking me questions and making it it's just asking the weird like well did you have something to drink did you did you somehow encourage this behavior i'm like what like what do you mean like why why is it that we who are experiencing some sort of improper whatever i'm trying i'm trying to classify this correctly because it was never classified as assault it was never classified as harassment um and, and that weirdly enough that was another thing i was like i will not classify it as these things because again i know what happens after you do so i don't know what the dude's problem was or what his deal was like whatever because i was the only one that this was happening to you know i mean i was also the only female but it was just very weird to be questioned by people and have them still like there were witnesses <laughs> people said like this is what happened she wasn't drinking like i don't know what to tell you uh she didn't do anything wrong it was all you know this other person um so there it, there was no contest of am i it was no her word against his but I was still being made to feel like, well, what did you do? Yeah. Which is also a factor. It's just like, are you like, if I have to go through all this, like, I'm just going to, I'm just not going to say anything. Yeah. And I yeah. think that there's not enough, like you said, empathetic leaders out there that are making it clear that you can come and talk to me and I'm going to listen to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's victim blaming, you know, and like any shade of victimization. Like, people say, like, oh, what, what did, you, what were you doing? You know, it's like, it's like, oh, why would you feel that way? It's like, oh, it's just, you know, just a joke. And realizing it's like, well, it's not. It doesn't matter like how I said it. It matters how that person took it. Yeah. And you know, this go we can go on and on about like the various shades and differences and meaning and uh, like you know like swing left. How far? How far of the pendulum you swing that right? Like. I, I can't say anything or it's like, Oh, I can say whatever I want. You right. know? And I think it just comes down to just like, like it's the empathy, you know, just like put yourself in that person's shoes in here and listen to them. And if you don't agree, just shut up. Yeah, I agree. Or read a book. <laughs> read a book. Just get better. Golly. Yeah. Oh man. We're over an hour. Wow. Congratulations. I told you, I told you it was going to take, and you think that it's not, you think that an hour would be a long time, but yeah, it's good. It's good to catch up. It was, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first time I've told that. I've codified that story. I've still I'm, not I'm, said I'm very much. I'm proud of you for that. Thanks. That's that. Anyways. Anyways. Right. It's, no, it's, it's, it's a lot to share. And it's, I think it's the, you know, like, like I hope it gives you some kind of empowerment of sharing it. I don't know. It actually, it actually makes me feel a little bit bad because, like I said, that's probably the least traumatic thing that's happened to me in the Marine Corps in terms of like harassment and assault. Um, and but that's the only one I've ever that's ever been semi-reported. Nothing else. And and to be honest, and this isn't going to be any sort of empowerment for anyone else um, because that experience that I had validated all of the times before that I never said anything. And so, I mean. And people look at me, and you know this, Billie Jean, people look at me and they're like, oh, you know, sounds so, so strong and she can handle herself and she's a bulldog and she's, she's a meat eater, like all this stuff. And that, that 
is supposed to somehow mean um, these things don't affect me the same, right? And that, and I, it always just makes me wonder about like the lance corporal, right? And that's how we, that's how they always get me with like what well, what what happens if it's your lance corporal dealing with this? If it's your young marine that's dealing with this problem, what would you do? Um, yeah, yeah, but, I mean, it's but it's you know it's it's hard. It's hard to put yourself in that because of like you know we're the ones dealing with our own feelings, thoughts, and emotions, and so. It's just, you know, it's almost easier to be the leader and coach and mentor than it is to be the person going through it. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Well, all right. That's episode eight. Thanks, Billie Jean. You're welcome. I hope the sound came out okay and not trash. <laughs> I hope so, too. We can always do it again, if not. But if we won't be able to recreate this conversation. But anyways, I appreciate you um, regardless and the conversations that we are able to have. Um, Absolutely, no. I appreciate you too. And honestly, I, I feel very like uh, humbled the fact you asked me to be on your your budding blog, so to speak. Um, just because like, I feel like I'm a very, uh, you, know, I, you know this, I've told you this, like I've resigned my life to a mirror, like to mirror, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> just gonna be an average, average run-of-the-mill person living his life, and uh, to like be your friend for you to accept me into your like friend circle like means a lot to me because you know when I see you and like just like the background you have, the experience, and like we get through like how many people you know, like who do you know, and like the stuff you've done, like these great things. I'm just like I'm, I'm, her, I'm her friend. Like <laughs> that's how I felt in San Francisco pre birthday I was like, it's like oh yeah. Oh, and I'm just like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel very honored. Appreciate that. We're, we're still friends. I am honored, Billie Jean. You were you were a, a well of knowledge. Thank you. And your motivating Sorry. airplane picture in the back. Thank you. It's a puzzle. I put that together myself. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you'll have to let me know about your jobs in DC. And also, I will let you know when this gets published. And if you've made it to the end, because I know Gabriella listens all the way to the ends of these, uh, feel Hi, free Gabriella. to... <laughs> Gabriella, who listens on Spotify as well, or some weird Google app for podcasts. But... Um, yeah. Yeah, green bubbles. But subscribe to the podcast. If you're on iTunes, leave uh, some stars or a comment. Um Follow us on social media. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And also give let, us feedback. Let me know what I said wrong during the whole thing in the comments below. Yeah, right? <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Mm-hmm.